Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. How's it going, everybody? Yo, yo, yo. Hello, everyone out there. So this month, we are going to continue on with our series read-through of Invincible. So if you've been following along with us every month, we've been going through a year in the series Invincible by Robert Kirkman. And uh, currently, I believe it's being drawn by Ryan Otley. Is that correct, Drew? Yep. So I'll do a a rundown of the credits today. We are going through Invincible, Volumes 6 and 7, if you're reading the trade paperbacks, which encompass issues 25 through 35. And it's obviously written by Robert Kirkman, penciled and inked by Ryan Otley, with Cliff Rathburn inking a few issues in this run. Bill Crabtree is colorist. Russ Wooten is letterer. Those are the credits. We are ready to get back to what is probably the greatest superhero comic book in the universe. Yep. If you uh, want to catch up with uh, everything that's come before, you have our other episodes uh, that you can check out. We're just going to pick up where we left off. Yeah. So when we left off from the last couple volumes, I guess one of the biggest things that happened was Mark and his friends graduated from high school and started attending college and Mark started to really settle into his role working for Cecil and the government going on missions on their behalf. Yeah, it's pretty much their new normal after his dad left. Yeah, one of the big things that really kicks off the stories in in these issues is Mark, he basically ends up disobeying one of Cecil's orders when Cecil, when basically an alien visitor comes and tries to recruit Mark saying that their people need help and Mark finds him credible enough to go with him into space into his and go to his planet. But Cecil obviously didn't want him to go because it could be a trap or who knows yeah. how long he'd be gone and Earth could be left underprotected with Invincible away. Yeah. But Mark being a good person basically decided that if there's a chance for him to help an entire planet, he can't really ignore that. Yeah. So against Cecil's wishes, he ends up going to that planet. It's the first time we see his uh, superhero uh, code conflict with his, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a professional conduct, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know you what know, you mean. Yeah, it, it conflicts with the organization that he's tasked to help which is an interesting conflict because, you know, you would think that they'd both be working towards um, just doing good, right? But clearly the government or- organization has its own goals and he has his. And yeah, and I have to say, it's, it's something that reminds me of like a 1980s movie where, where the cop, you know, the renegade cop goes in and he's talking to the chief of the police and the chief of police is like, you're a loose cannon, and we can't <laughs> control you. And he's just like, I don't listen. I don't listen to any rules. I just do my thing. And you know, he just pulls out of there. He's like, put your bat, leave your badge and gun on the table. <laughs> and then at some point, transition at some from point, a 1920s gangster to a 1980s uh, gruff police chief. <laughs> yeah, and, and at some point. At some point during the story, that 
1980s gruff police chief is going to be like, I'm getting too old for this. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, it's my last day on the job. I'm about to retire. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually when he gets killed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whenever anyone says that in a 1980s movie, you know his head's about to explode. <laughs> Oh man, lethal weapon! You were going to leave. You've left us with so many memories. <laughs> <laughs> man, one of the funny things about how this uh, story starts in in issue twenty five, Mark gets a visit from Science Dog, who, in his world, is actually the starring character of his favorite comic book series. So yeah. it's it's pretty funny just to see this this uh, anthropomorphic dog wearing a jetpack and goggles come visit him at his at his house. It's like yeah. it's a pretty silly sight. But what's funnier is when Mark sees him, like because he's a cartoon character in in Mark's world, he's a cartoon character that exists only on paper. Mark freaks out. And just instantly attacked him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, how do you know my name? How do you know where I live? What do you want with me? Why are you here? What are you? <laughs> Who are you? Did you say your mom's name is Martha? <laughs> Stepbrothers. <laughs> but it, it, it turns out that Science Dog is actually the alien in disguise trying to recruit him. And his that alien's uh, mentality was, if I take on a form that Mark finds appealing, then maybe he will be more likely to listen to me as opposed to being surprised by an alien. <laughs> it's a pretty funny thought. It'd be like if I opened my door one day and Mickey Mouse was standing in front of me and he was <laughs> like, Ha-ha! Hey there, Bert! We need you! You you can save us! Ha-ha! Ha-ha! Dude, I want to hear you do your 1920s Chicago gangster voice in your Mickey Mouse voice. Ha-ha! He'll never take you alive, see? Ha-ha! 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 <laughs> oh, that's too funny, man. <laughs> oh, Mickey. Yeah, so he ends up going into... So, uh, the science dog uh, eventually puts down his or shapeshifts back into his true form and uh he lets he lets Mark know what's up which is oh there's a great threat going on on this other planet and we think our leader has told us that you're you're basically the only one who can save us you know uh, but it's yeah. going to be a long journey it's going to be several months it could be not I, I don't think it was several months it might have just been one month initially yeah. but they were like, it's going to take a long time to get there. And understandably, Cecil and the organization that protects the the planet, their priority is the planet. Uh, he he feels the need to step in to tell Mark, hey, man, we can't have you going MIA for a month. Uh, yeah, I mean, like the way that Drew talks about it, it's true that, you know, it could be a trap or whatever. But the underlying concern or yeah, the underlying concern and the way that they frame it is that Mark is an asset to them and 
they can't be just giving their assets out to to uh, causes. Where. Yeah, what'd you say? Just who knows where he's going, man. Exactly, exactly. He's gonna I, be I, totally I off the grid. Exactly. I forget if there's even a point where I think this might have been towards the end of the of 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 the this year in in the comics, mm-hmm. but at some point Cecil even goes and says something to the effect of "We pay your bills, you know, so you you technically work for us." Yeah. And it's it's the first time that he pulls rank on Mark essentially. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's it's a pretty interesting relationship they have because it feels like for the most part Cecil seems like a good guy too. Like he it yeah. doesn't seem like there's really any so far there's nothing in the story to indicate there's anything sinister going on behind him or that he's trying to take advantage of Mark. He just comes across as as a guy who really is trying to use all the resources at his disposal to keep Earth yeah. safe. And Mark is just one of the most powerful heroes that Earth has. So kind of a big deal if, if he's going somewhere and he's going to be gone for weeks at a time and he's going to be completely out of contact. Yeah. That's just, you know, that would concern anybody who was in charge of uh, security. Yeah. Absolutely. So Mark ends up going to the planet. These alien people, they look like gigantic walking mantises. Yeah. Yeah. Very insectoid people. I thought it was a creative creative concept behind their biology, too, where their life cycles are extremely short. They they basically live out their entire lives in, in the span of nine months. So... These people on the planet have been waiting like literally their whole lives for Mark to arrive. Yeah. <laughs> and when he gets it to the planet, of gravitas. <laughs> yeah. And when he gets to the planet, the very last page of the issue, it's his father. It's Omni Man, and Omni Man is the king of the planet. <laughs> yeah. And that's a heck of a that's a heck of a cliffhanger right there. Totally. Like up to this point, the last time Mark has seen him was when he was getting his the crap kicked out of him by his own dad after yeah. it was revealed that he was a traitor. Yeah. <laughs> and his dad flew off into space, and this is the first time we've seen him since. Yeah. So it, I guess it makes sense that that uh, they would bring him, put him, bring him back in uh, issue 25, kind of a I don't know a landmark number for a lot of yeah. superhero comics. So it's a big uh, cliffhanger to end on. Yeah. And then, and then we find out that, uh, well, first I, I think it's the the reunion between Mark and his father is pretty well done too. Like it, it's a it's a really great sequence where you see Mark in complete shock, understandably, yeah. and you can tell that he's conflicted by seeing his father. He doesn't know whether he's he's angry or relieved or or what, and his dad isn't sure if Mark is gonna attack him or or what but after a couple pages of tension you just see mark crying and giving his dad a hug yeah at one point mark even says to him just come back to earth with me and you know he it's almost naive but this belief that we'll just set things right just come back and everything will be back to normal everything will be okay again yeah yeah 
But it, it, um, it's it's a good scene to just show you that, you know, for all the things that his father has done and they were evil acts, he still has love for his father, too. Yeah. Which is understandable to some... Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, it's his dad. Yeah. I mean, if, if your parent were a mass murderer, you'd probably still have some love for them. Um... I mean, it's a different discussion, but it, it'd be hard to <laughs> it'd be hard to uh, overwrite the years and years of conditioning that took place for you to feel whatever you felt towards your parents. Um, but yeah, what was uh, that? Oh, we were just reading a story recently about this daughter of a of the a serial killer, uh, the BTK, BTK killer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I I ended up I didn't read that article that you sent me, but I did wa- end up watching. I think there was like it was either 2020 or Nightline or something. They did this entire hour long, uh, maybe even longer, but this uh, this hour long interview with uh, his daughter. And at the end of the interview, she basically said that, which was a pretty you know, not not having a parent as a serial killer, it's hard for me to imagine, but yeah. it's, it's still a pretty stunning thing to hear her say that she forgave her father, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a bunch of complex emotions that yeah. most of us would probably not be able to relate with. Or, yeah. you know, as much as we would try to uh, imagine what it would be like to be in that position... Uh, I'm pretty sure that most of us never actually come close to experiencing something like that. Yeah. But it it does make for fascinating... Uh, it's compelling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely compelling drama. Exactly. Um, yeah, so um, what we find out is that in the in the aftermath of Omni-Man revealing everything and being, and basically being ousted or outed to earth, he flew off into space. And I, I don't think they explicitly said it, but it feels like he was wandering for a bit and he knew that he couldn't go back to earth because he had already done what he had done. It was fresh. And he also knew that he couldn't go back to, uh, What's their home planet? Viltrum. Viltrum? Yeah. Viltrum. Yeah. So in in the wake of uh, everything that happened, he decided that he was going to go and colonize this new planet. And so, you know, he scoured space. He found these this, this species and he lived amongst them. But at this point, he had been changed so much by his time on Earth that on this new planet, he decided he wasn't going to go in that direction any longer. Uh, Cause, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm like interpreting this wrong, but that was my understanding of it was that he, he chose not to turn this planet over to Viltrium. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That I was, mean, that was the idea. Yeah. And, I think that was a pretty interesting I think that was one of the most interesting things about uh this this year's worth of stories because 
we've we've talked about this often, uh, especially during our read through of Invincible. But uh, Grant Morrison discussed Superman and what Superman's life is like, and we've mentioned this in the previous podcast, I believe. But he was talking about how the thing about Superman is he's just like us, but because of his superpowers, everything is pushed to this almost epic level, right? So yeah. Superman has a dog, but instead of walking his dog on Earth, he walks his dog on the moon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And stuff like that. And I, I thought this was another perfect example of that kind of storytelling where on Earth, you can have someone who who's a bad father or a deadbeat dad, and once he, once he commits whatever heinous acts he commits it's almost yeah it's almost like he's already ruined one family and he goes off to find his next family and it's the shock of the child going to to find his dad after however long he's been gone only to find that his dad is now a better father for it but it's it's just unfortunate that he had to ruin your family in order to become that better father yeah yeah. you know and 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 invincible takes that i think it's a i i I don't know if it's a common thing but i i I have a feeling it's more common than i think and he pushes it to an epic level by making it about super people who ruin their uh, relationships, all of their relationships on their home planet, only to go off to a new planet, start over, and become a better version or a better hero for this new planet altogether. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, like, and uh, Omni Man ends up even having a relationship with the queen of their planet and a new kid. So it's it's almost like it's exactly that. It's it's the the more relatable earthbound version of the story is your parents getting divorced your dad leaving exiting your life and only for you to find out several years down the road that all that time that you thought your dad was a bastard when you see him again he started over and now he has that perfect life that he never had with you when he was your father yeah, there's something a little bit painful about that. It is, it is. The first time that we see Omni-Man's new mate, it's a pretty amusing scene. Like, she walks into the room, <laughs> and then and then they just start French kissing, dude. Yeah. And Mark is just shocked. He's like, what? Yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. And she's, again, she's like a mantis a mantis bug person so it's uh but she's got some human characteristics i guess i mean she has a tongue so yeah and 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 the way that ryan otley drew the panel they're they're not only just french kissing but he he even draws like slobber falling down they're in the throes (laughs) of passion (laughs) Uh, it's almost cartoonish it's like (laughs) it's it's pretty funny i I was looking in the in the hardcover collection and in the extras. Yeah. There's, you know, art and sketches and some notes and commentary from Kirkman. And he yeah. mentioned that panel was because Ryan Otley drew it as a joke 
just to show him. But Kirkman thought it was so funny, he had to put it in the actual comic. Which is pretty cool. I mean, that's a cool creative process. It's it's not so rigid, or it just shows how like how much levity they have. Yeah, exactly. And and you get the real sense that Otley isn't just some pencil for hire, but he's actually a full fledged collaborator. You know, like his his ideas are part of this story too. He is heard. He is special. He is understood. That's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) The other crazy thing is that Omni-Man and this uh, Mantis chick, they were able to reproduce and and have a baby. (laughs) Yeah. But I I guess it goes back to uh, what what Omni-Man shared in one of the earlier issues where uh, he, he talked about how the Viltrumite seed is so powerful that they can basically reproduce with almost any other race and their offspring will have or DNA than whatever the alien is. Because I guess to the Viltrumites, even, a human, even though they look similar, a human is just as much of you know, a foreign creature. or a... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where uh, these mantis-like aliens, I guess somehow because Omni-Man is a Viltrumite, they're still able to have a baby. And he, he just looks like a normal human baby, except he's got purplish skin and he ages faster because the alien people have a, a shorter lifespan. But yeah. he'll still probably end up living hundreds of years because he's half Viltrumite. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely an interesting new dynamic. If we, again, followed that thread of... Uh, you know, a child of a broken home finding out that his dad now has this new family. Not only that, he has to contend with the fact that he now has stepbrothers that he wasn't aware of, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, and... Say that again? A half-brother. A half-brother, right. And he takes on his role as a brother pretty well, all things considered, you know? Yeah, totally. I think I'll admit, and it's not something where I was reading it and I was like, that's not realistic. Most people would be petty or whatever, you know. (laughs) Uh, It did cross my mind that I do think a lot of people wouldn't be quite as forgiving or loving of, of, they wouldn't be forgiving of the dad of their father that, you know, left them or abandoned them. uh, And on top of that, it'd be hard to imagine uh, their capacity to uh, care for this other child, this brother of his, but yeah. you know, Mark Grayson. I don't. And again, I don't think he, it's out of character. I don't think it's unbelievable. Uh, but it's just a testament to you know how good a dude he is that he's able to care so much for this for his half brother. You know. Yeah, and and not only his half brother, but even his dad's alien mate because when the when the other so the reason why uh, his dad called him to this planet is because he expects the other viltrumites to come and attack him the whole viltrumite philosophy is predicated on the strongest uh culling the weak so the way that 
their culture looks at it is if this small group of Viltrumites goes to this planet to find uh, Nolan and they kill him, then he never deserved to live. But if he kills them, then they deserve to die. Yeah. So, so Nolan knows that he needs a little bit of backup, which is why he, he gets Mark to come uh, visit him. But because the fight is going to be between, you know, this group of supermen who have unimaginable power compared to these aliens who are just probably as squishy as human beings, there's a lot of danger for the planet's populace. You know, you, you see the kind of damage that a single Viltrumite can do to a planet. They can, one Viltrumite could probably conquer any normal planet on his own. So if they have a slugfest between a couple of Viltrumites, it's going to be like Man of Steel, cheating. but worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> That's how you know it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. that. Yeah, so, so during the fight with the Viltrumites, Mark actually does protect his father's mate. His dad asks him to fly her to safety in some cave outside the city, and he does it. You know, there's no sense of resentfulness or anything like that. He's he's act, he's just yeah. concerned about protecting a, a person. Yeah, he uh, he does his duty not just as a hero, but as a as a hero and as a as a son. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, but the battle, you know, the. There are only four Viltrumites that show up, and... Is it four, or is it three? Oh, it might have been... Oh, I guess it was three. I want to say it's three. Yeah. So three of them show up, and it's... They all have mustaches. They all have mustaches, and it ends up being a pretty bloody slugfest. And for a brief moment, it looks like... It looks like um, Omni-Man and uh, Invincible are going to do it. They're going to pull it off. But, you know... Comics, comics is a is a harsh. It's a harsh, uh, harsh to uh, uh, it's it's harsh to to the readers sometimes. And what ends up happening is, in the last second, Omni Man loses, and he gets taken away. And the the other Viltrumites basically just tell Invincible that he has a hundred years to get his affairs in order, and then they fully expect him. To, to join them in their in their intergalactic quest. Yeah. Yeah. But before the 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 one thing that is worth mentioning is as they're taking his dad away, his you know, his at this point his dad's all beaten up and messed up and Mark is equally as messed up, but because the true criminal to the empire is Omni-Man they're taking him away and they're leaving Invincible. And as they're taking Omni-Man away, Omni-Man is saying, um, read my books or something like that, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. And it's it's it seems like a pretty small, like almost meaningless sort of thing for him to ask. But what we find out in as this as uh, when when Invincible comes back to Earth is he talks to uh, Ce- not Cecil. What's the guy's name? The the guy that makes his costumes? Uh, Art. He talks to Art and he asks him about it. And 
it's revealed that his dad used to his dad's a writer his his earth persona was a writer and he had a bunch of he wrote a lot of travel books but before writing travel books he wrote these science fiction books and he had a few of them that he shared with mark and mark was looking through them and as he was reading them he came to realize that these science fiction uh stories that omni-man wrote they weren't really stories as much as they were catalogs of his adventures and he came to the conclusion that somewhere in those books is the key to defeating the viltrumites yeah pretty interesting twist actually yeah yeah i was uh i was about that i thought it was a pretty cool uh pretty cool thing or element to inject into the story yeah absolutely it gives <clears throat> it gives an extra level of depth to a detail that was introduced way early in the series and you know just makes it come back around full circle you know because we knew early on that mark's dad was in his civilian life his job was a writer but mm-hmm. you never really uh saw anything too significant about that job other than the fact that the royalties would help you know pay for debbie and mark's expenses um mm-hmm. after his dad supposedly died uh to yeah. the public of earth yeah, but now Mark has discovered that some of his dad's old books have these secrets, and it's like, oh, he's gonna, now he's, you know, he's gonna go look around, uh, yeah. for these weapons or or people that can help defeat the Viltrumites. It's because, sort of, yeah. yeah, it's sort of epic in the sense that it it gives him almost like this holy grail to go and yeah, of yeah, he's got a quest, to quest now. for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there are even these excerpts where the first story was about like some sort of invincible gun, invincible ray or something like that. I, I forget what it was called. Not I think invincible. it was the infinity ray or something. Yeah, infinity ray. And there was another excerpt that he was reading where about how he encountered this race that was just really tough to fight. Um, and they almost beat him. So just from these two excerpts alone they're enough for mark to glean that there's hope out there there's stuff out there that he can use to his advantage in the in the coming viltrumite war with earth yeah you know yeah it it definitely points towards more adventures in space where he's got to look for the space rider with the infinite ray gun and these other uh i don't know dinosaur looking guys that somehow were able to beat back the vulture viltramites the viltramite fight the the fight where nolan and mark fight the viltramites that was a pretty intense battle scene man yeah like the way that that otley drew it like there's this this one two page there's this two page spread uh I, i don't know if you're remember it but it it definitely jumped out at me because across those two pages in the foreground you see nolan and mark and the two viltrumites they're fighting you know they're in the mid middle of action they're they're throwing crazy punches and they're all covered in blood and it's just super kinetic but then in the background instead of just drawing a normal background otley lays down two 
16 panel grids that, that just have even more moments of of action and all the punches and kicks being thrown mm. it's it's a pretty awesome uh splash page man like just the artwork the the design of it and the the idea of it 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 just works perfectly man like it really it's one of those things that really puts you uh in the midst of the chaos yeah um the one scene that i remember uh pretty well is a little bit before that but what uh, when the other viltrumites come to the planet uh and omni-man tells invincible to fly off they uh invincible flies off and eventually does battle with one of these uh viltrumites and uh in the last second he's saved by his dad but yeah. after that happens they go back to like one of the cities and all you see is this i believe it's a two place two page splash as well yeah but it's just omni man you just see him from the back dead civilians just hundreds if not thousands of them you know and the next page after yeah close up of his face and he is just in tears and just furious and yeah man that was like that was a really powerful couple of pages, you know? Like, totally, one, it, it shows how much power the, these, like, three Viltrumites, how much chaos these three Viltrumites were able to uh, uh, sow on this planet or, or to inflict on this planet. But two, it also shows you just how much um, Omni-Man has changed from his original uh, ways, you know? Like, this this change of heart it's genuine. Yeah. He's he's just enraged because of the the destruction that has befallen his adopted people now. Yeah. Which is which is a crazy twist from how it was when he was on Earth because he was going to do this to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, remember everything that uh Nolan was saying to Mark in that entire conversation how like you know, you guys are less than pets to me. You guys are basically animals. Yeah. And, you know, he went from from that to... I'm looking at the page right now, and he's he's tearing up for these, for these insectoids, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's not just tearing up, man. Tears are actually falling out of his eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, it's, yeah, it's... Yeah. It, it, it's like a combination of I'm sure there's some sorrow, but it feels like it's one of those moments where have you ever hated some somebody so much that you could only cry? Yeah, I I understand that feeling of just it's a lot of things going on. Like powerlessness is definitely in there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but you know, mixed with your powerlessness is just this blinding hatred. Um, exactly. You know, John Bon Jovi, you know what you did. What? <laughs> where, where did Bon Jovi come from? You said you asked me if I had ever hated something so much that it made me cry, and I was. You hate John Bon Jovi that much? Yeah, he knows what he did to me. <laughs> I'll never forgive him. Never. Never. Wow, I, I really, I, I, I had no idea you felt that way about Bon Jovi. Someday I will exact my revenge on him. 
Yeah, man. I, I was I was gonna see uh, what your favorite Bon Jovi songs were, but I'm guessing you just hate them all. Look, he's living on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> well done, man. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. So all this stuff is happening on this planet, but every uh, issue we, we do get a couple of scenes on Earth, which is kind of fun too. Like there's a scene where the the guardians of the globe and a bunch of other heroes that are on earth are fighting off this guy named uh what is it omnipotus the world shaper and he's you know he's he's like one of those big monster type dudes that's that's gonna conquer the planet so all the heroes had to gather and the one thing that jumped out at me for some reason was uh cecil's assistant donald he's this whole time that we've seen him he's just this guy wearing sunglasses that's kind of a He's always like he just seems bookish. like one of those yeah bookish kind of guy who who just works. He's as like a an accountant assistant. or something. Yeah, he looks like yeah. an accountant, but it turns out he's actually a robot who has these uh, high-powered like, alien Gatling yeah. guns in his wrists. <laughs> he's a former superhero. <laughs> yeah, and I that was pretty funny. Yeah, and it's yeah like uh, this omnipotent guy. If I guess if you can if you wanted to think of some equivalent. He could be like a Thanos or a Dark Side or something like that, you know. Yeah, or a, and, a Mongol. Yeah, or a Mongol, like a warlord basically. And in that scene where uh, the the assistant is being sent out to fight, like it's a testament to how severe this threat is uh, that's happening to Earth while invincible, while Mark is off planet. Mm-hmm. But it gets to a point where uh, Cecil's just like. We need to throw everything we got at this, at this, at this threat, at this omnipotence. So we're sending you in. We're sending, you know, you, you're you're gonna have to come out of retirement. And there's even a scene where they mention another uh, character property that Image owns. This character by the name of Brit, who's, who's like an. I think that's another Kirkman character. I believe so too. I've never yeah. read any of it, but I, my understanding of it is it's just like this really grizzled really tough old guy that's yeah that's pretty much what he is i i remember reading some of those comics back in the early 2000s but he's like a i don't know if he's like a super soldier or or something but he's he's got some sort of uh like super strength and durability right i think so I, i don't really remember it too well and i think i ended up giving those comics away to somebody but i know he was around before invincible yeah yeah, but there, but there's even a short throwaway line in there where they're talking about how even Brit had to come out of retirement to yeah, face exactly. this guy, you know? Exactly. So again, it, it was just oh, and and on top of that, uh, Atom Eve, who they talked about in the previous year, how the last time we see her, she's talking. She told Mark that she was going to retire from superheroing. Uh, to do philanthropy in Africa. Well, in this moment, in this scene, when they're facing off with Omnipotus, she's back in costume, you know? So, again, yeah. uh, they, there was a threat, and everyone had to come out for it. Yeah, it was just too big. It's, it's fun to see how the way that they do these little subplots throughout the issues, they, they're constantly interspersing even just one or two page scenes of other characters that aren't main characters, they're not Mark or anybody, 
but Kirkman and Otley, they're constantly just dropping them in here and there. So you get this real sense that their lives are continuing even when they're off panel. Even yeah. when Mark's doing his thing, you see stuff going on with um, the Guardians of the Globe, like Rex Explode. Yeah. He's walking around the base and then he catches the immortal cheating with duplicate, you know? Yeah, like they're, yeah. They're, and, and it's just this scene that's totally reminiscent of the time that Adam Eve caught Rex Flood cheating on her with duplicate. Yeah. It's all these little details that I feel like I don't, I'm not saying that he lifted off anything or anyone lifted it off him, but it's it's similar to all the effort that they put into the details for uh, MCU movies in order to make it all seem like a coherent world where things are going on, right? Yeah. And uh, Robert Kirkman really is adept at doing the same thing with all of the various characters that he's created over the years. It kind of makes you wonder, how did he plot the series, man? Like, how did he keep track of everything that was going on? He must have had a notebook where he just jotted down everybody's storylines and, and what they were up to. So he, Because, yeah. like, everything that we see, even, even, like, a bunch of issues may go by without seeing that character. Yeah. Eventually, it comes back around and yeah. rises to the forefront somehow. Yeah. It really, exactly. It doesn't feel like anything is really, truly just a throwaway uh, thing or detail right because yeah. eventually i mean i'm sure there are some things that are but it's surprising whenever something that's seemingly meaningless comes back and actually had a greater significance down the line right yeah like that that level of seeding is it shows a lot of foresight it's pretty impressive yeah you could tell that this guy read a lot of superhero comics when he was growing up man yeah. like He's able to just juggle all these different threads. And, and yeah, like, tons of issues can go by without, uh, you know, following up on, on a point. But at, sooner or later, you know, we will get some follow-up. Like, in the, last, in the last episode we did on Invincible, one of the stories was Mark helping that one guy. Was his name Titan? I forget. The guy that could turn his skin into rocks? Yeah, his name was Titan. The, yeah. the gangster? Yeah, so he helped yeah. him... Be, um, he unwitting Mark unwittingly helped Titan basically consolidate power over this crime syndicate. Yeah. But we haven't seen him since. It's it's been like over twelve issues and, and there's not like one there's not even one panel with him. But it's still one of those things where in the back of my mind I'm I'm totally expecting him to pop up at any moment, yeah. you know? Like if he and if when he does pop up it's not going to be something where it's like, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? But we already have all that backstory seeded, you know, over a year ago. Yeah. It it kind of reminds me of how, like, they used to talk about how George R.R. R. Martin, uh, like, when he was writing, or he's still writing his Game of Thrones books, but um, how there was just so many details in uh, in his books so many details to keep track of that there were these super fans online that he would refer to to help him uh, keep track yeah. of where everybody <laughs> and everything was. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine creating a work of fiction so complex that you had to rely on a fan-made Wikipedia? 
for your own work. I know myself, so I certainly know that I would never be able to do anything like that. I'd <laughs> only be able to my all my stories would basically just involve two people. <laughs> at most. <laughs> if they ever gave me a book about Spider-Man, it it would have Spider-Man and him just constantly punching the vulture. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just a hundred issues of that. <laughs> Every issue is Vulture comes up with a new scheme to... Yeah. <laughs> They're basically going to be uh, the Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote <laughs> in just this never-ending hell where they're trying to kill each other. Spy versus spy. <laughs> Except it's Vulture and Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> Like even even in this group of issues, there's the there's a little bit of follow up on that Rick Sheridan plot, yeah. where he gets captured by that one mad scientist at their college and gets turned into the cyborg, the one of those reanimen, mm. and that happened in I, I forget either volume four or five, and we we see a little bit more of that in this year's issues but it doesn't get resolved either so it's just constantly percolating and building up mm. and another yeah. one would be that story about uh the martian that that managed to sneak over to earth and he yeah. ended up taking over uh a human dude's life because he's a shapeshifter and he he basically doesn't know what to do with himself because he has he's a stranger in a on a strange planet but he gets this idea from watching TV to become a superhero. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing about that is the Martian, he was a shapeshifter and he, so he assumes this astronaut's life. And uh, as a result, the, the astronaut, he, whose, whose form he takes, he gets left on, on, on Mars. And uh, what ends up happening there is, they they unleashed this other species and uh, because of their contact with humans, Mars might be in trouble. But the interesting thing is the so so all this is happening on on Mars. But the the shape what's his name the shapesmith he comes to Earth and this Martian uh, he takes the form of the astronaut and he talks about how he was fired and he's getting evicted. And he's just like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of feel sorry for the dude, man. He's he's totally ignorant of yeah. society. Yeah. And then, like, it just feels like as an afterthought, just out of boredom, because he doesn't know what to do with himself, he sees on TV that there was this other uh, uh, superhero called Martian Man. And he's like, I can do that. And, <laughs> and now he's a superhero. <laughs> And he calls himself the Shapesmith. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's funny the names that they come up with, man. Yeah. It's uh, Robert Kirkman does a good job with those. Yeah, you can tell that he's having fun, man. For sure, for sure. Um, in addition to that, there was another big story. One of the big elements that have been that they've been uh, seeding for the last, you know few issues not not even few issues but for a while now it was uh there was 
an implication that Robot was doing something, uh, Robot from Guardians of the Globe was doing something questionable because yeah. he was working on some scientific experiment and this whole time we weren't really sure or aware of what it is that he was working on and the interesting thing is he finally approaches the Mahler twins which are these recurring villains those guys uh, crack me up too man <laughs> yeah they're pretty absurd um like so the thing the 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 running gag with those guys is they're constantly bickering over who's the original and who's the clone because the the guy is the scientist is just a master cloner, you know? So much so that when he creates these clones, uh they're not it, it's hard to tell them apart. It's hard to tell what who the original is and who isn't. But what ends up happening is because of an accident in in the earlier issues one of them ends up being scarred pretty severely and in this year uh in this year of stories he finally clones another clone and it's obvious to tell which of them is the original and which of them is the clone because of the scar tissue but as a result he gets murdered by his clone because he can't accept the fact that he's not the original. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny, man. Yeah. And then the clone that murdered the scarred one, he ends up creating his own clone and and they're back to the status quo again. Yeah, yeah. And then they it just it's just this never-ending circle with those guys. They're constantly competing with each other um in a way where they're trying to outdo each other's deeds to impress yeah. upon the other person that, hey, only the real original version yeah. could accomplish this feat. And that's what yeah. makes them such a good team because they're constantly trying to impress each other. <laughs> but it doesn't yeah. work if one of them already knows. If, it doesn't work if both exactly. of them are convinced that one of them is the original. They both have to yeah. be unsure. <laughs> Basically, they have to exist in this state where they're constantly in the middle of a giant pissing contest with each other. Yeah. It's funny, man. Like that yeah. that's an idea that I've never seen before, but it it makes it's the kind of thing that makes cloning hilarious to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we I think we mock cloning quite a bit on uh, between the two of us, but this is the sort of, it's it's taken cloning and it's injected it with humor and it it makes fun of itself on some level. So yeah. can you that's imagine why if I, Ben Riley and Peter Parker were like this? Yeah, I wouldn't take it seriously. I'd be like, okay, it's meant to be sort of silly. Yeah, it'd be a lot yeah. more entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what ends up happening is Robot uh takes these two takes the Mahler twins and conscripts them to work on a secret science project for them for him. And we finally get the revelation as to what that is. And what it is is that robot isn't really so much a robot as he is a drone that's working for uh, this person who has this condition that doesn't allow him to uh, leave this very specific environment. Because if he gets exposure to 
um, unfiltered air, he can he can die. Yeah. And what and as a result, what he did was he created he had this super intellect and he created a robot and he got tired of living this life, so he got robot to get all these resources together including the Mahler twins so that they could clone him a new body made from Rexplode's DNA and he would transfer all of his knowledge and memories into this new body. Well, not transfer, but he'd create a, a clone with his memories and DNA. So I, I don't know if that's a huge difference, but it, it's a difference. It's a difference because yeah. if you were able to transfer his mind, then he wouldn't have a, to die. Yeah, exactly. But but basically what happens is when you create a clone that has your exact memories, it's basically creating yourself a duplicate, but he ends up, you know, the original ends up dying, so there's only one left, but it's the one that has this new body. Yeah. Yeah. And so And the, yeah, and the interesting thing is that he he didn't clone the body in its prime, like he still made the body I think he's he's not even a teenager. It's like a prepubescent boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And So that that's a little twist right there too because yeah. there's there's also something going on with with him and Monster Girl. Yeah, it's interesting because after he clones his body and after all that's done, the Mahler twins are expecting some sort of payment, but what you get is robot saying that he has no intentions of honoring their deal and they're going to go to prison and yeah. there's a big battle that ensues and that happens you know a robot wins and you as the reader think oh there was nothing sinister about that at all that's kind of the end of it he's he's good he was good all along you know mm -hmm. but then there are some scenes and exchanges between him and monster girl and uh and yeah, there's something not quite right there. So it's, again, more of this suspicion that's going on because he ends up going... I think there's a page where he goes, all right, that's the act, That's the end of phase one or something like that, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. He says something like phase two is underway. Yeah. So clearly there's something more happening beneath the surface uh and it's like man what a way to uh what's it called uh set up the next stage of the yeah, story exactly. the subplot exactly like we thought it was gonna end there but it turns out there's something else something more going on yeah yeah the the character drama is pretty compelling as well it's not yeah. just about the the big fights or what's going on with the Viltrumites, but these little moments between the characters are just a lot of fun because you just yeah. want to find out how these relationships are going to progress and what's going to happen. Yeah. One yeah. of the other things, uh, speaking of relationships, one of the other things that really stood out in, in this clump of issues was the sort of love triangle between Mark Amber and Adam Eve because Mark and Amber are still a couple and they go to visit when Mark returns from the alien planet he and Amber visit Adam Eve over in 
I forget exactly where, but somewhere in Africa. Yeah. And they basically spend a little vacation there, uh, just the three of them. And yeah. you can tell that Mark and Amber are pretty into each other, and Adam Eve kind of resents it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's also interesting that because prior to that, there's also set up for the conflict between uh, Mark and Amber in that prior to this, Mark has been gone for a month and he comes back to Earth. And I'm not going to say that he treats it like nothing has happened, but, you know, Amber, even though she knows he's a superhero at this point, is is understandably upset. You know, she's just not used to this sort of lifestyle. And yeah. on top of that, so so there's definitely this emotional uh, uh, conflict point of contention that's coming up uh, because they there's even a moment where Mark says, Amber liked me before I was a superhero. She liked me before she knew I was a superhero. She, she was in love. Uh, she had a crush on Mark Grayson. And then now I'm springing this on her that I'm I'm invincible. She she didn't ask for any of this, you know. Mm-hmm. So in in a lot of ways, this relation, uh, this trip to Africa was it, it's a it's a bit of a reconciliation uh, or a a bonding trip for them to mm-hmm. to to kind of put all of the the stressful things of the past month behind them and just enjoy each other's company. Um, I think I want to say that there was this one scene that happens earlier in the series where Mark is talking with uh, Art and oh no 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 never mind that happens later so I I, I can talk about that later but Mm -hmm. um, yeah so uh, they go to Africa to have this little uh, vacation and reconnect and while they're there, um, Eve is, yeah, there's, she's, I'm looking forward to the words to say, but I guess she's a little, not catty, but. She's just a little jealous, I think. Yeah, there we go. There we go. You had the words for it. It's it's one of those uh, situations where I guess it's not crazy melodramatic or anything, but it is kind of like it's I don't realistic know. drama. Yeah, it's it's I realistic mean, drama. It's realistic for for fiction uh, for a story about superheroes. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the 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 circumstances aren't necessarily realistic, but the emotional content is realistic. The emotional yeah. drama is realistic. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? Like maybe the stakes the stakes for them being superheroes are definitely different, but you know, they're they still talk about it in a way that's uh that's relatable and believable in that sometimes people get into relationships relationships with other people and um it's not always that cut and dry. It's not always that simple, you know. Sometimes and, it's complicated. Yeah, and it's it's not. I guess the thing I appreciated was that appreciated about it was it wasn't melodramatic or anything either. It's not like they were 
throwing chairs or <laughs> uh, screaming at each other or something like that. Uh, like in, in in some ways, they were far more subdued than real people are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it it wasn't even like Amber and Eve were getting into any like arguments or having, you know, any real tension between them. It, it was more a Claremont just comic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't overwrought like that. It was, it was written just in a way where yeah, you could tell that they could get along as friends. But there's also it's it's also obvious that Eve is interested yeah. in Mark. Yeah, and yeah, like their their conflict with one another doesn't necessarily explode out on the page. They're not even necessarily passive aggressive or anything like that but you can tell just by the way that they're talking to each other or their body language or their facial expressions that that's all that you need to communicate Mm -hmm. that there's this unease there or that Mm -hmm. there's this conflict there right and i think that's much more believable and much more realistic yeah totally man it's good Um, stuff that's just how at least i presume or I hope that that's how real people are. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather that the people I know deal with their um, with their emotional uh, conflicts in this way than throwing a chair across the room or something <laughs> like that, or like you know uncontrollably crying hysterically. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Another uh, nice relationship to see get started on this in these pages is when Mark brings back his little brother and his mom ends up bonding with the little kid, yeah. decides to, to raise him. Yeah. I, I like those scenes too, man. Like, I guess I'm just kind of a sucker for the single parent story. Yeah. So anytime, anytime I see that in a story, it, it kind of hooks me in. Mm. So it, it was fun to see that his mom, you know, through all the trauma that she experienced over the past year's worth of stories of issues, um, it was good to see that she still knows how to care for somebody else, you know? Like, she's she's able to find something else to do besides just drink a whole lot of booze and try to forget her problems. Yeah, yeah. It's, in, in some ways, it's exactly what she needed, um... You know, at this point, her her husband had abandoned her and, uh, you know, all the hopes that she had for a normal life were tossed out the window. But she was put in this position where she had to reevaluate and readjust to her new life uh, without without uh, Omni-Man. And, uh, you know, so we see her in in her darkest moments drinking a lot. But in other moments, we see her looking for uh, other other forms of escape. Like, well, I don't even know if escape is the right word. But she decides that she wants to get her realtor's license so that she can be a real estate agent, have something to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, having this kid in her life and again it's another weird scene where this is the child of the man that broke her heart 
with another woman. Yeah. But she doesn't, she's not vindictive or um, petty about it. She yeah. she spends time with this child, and after a brief enough, uh, not brief, but after enough time with the the baby, she decides. It was really just three hours. Oh, I guess it was brief. Yeah. Uh, but she decides that she wants to raise this child. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just made me think of uh, what we were talking about earlier with Mark and how yeah. how he uh, treated. The little kid and yeah. his father's alien mate. Yeah. But it it, it kind of makes me think of how it takes somebody who's genuinely kind-hearted to want to raise the child of uh, the man who you know destroyed her life. Yeah. And had a baby with another woman. Yeah. Like she must have a really kind heart. And yeah. You just kind of infer from that. Well, that's probably where Mark gets his values too, you know? Like, yeah. Them being related like that, he probably. I'm sure that a lot of what he learned about being a hero wasn't just from watching his dad, but just from the values that he learned from his mom too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's interesting storytelling, man. That's that's storytelling that has depth because they don't have to spell that out for you, you know? Like, they're. There isn't a monologue or there isn't a scene where Mark has a thought balloon where he's like, everything I learned about how to be a good person <laughs> is from my mom. You know, like, yeah. you don't need to see that. It's it's just obvious from reading this the story. Yeah, yeah, we can see this happening. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what makes this effective storytelling. Yeah. So the so, other big thing that happens is... The return of Angstrom Levy. Yeah. That's that's a really big thing that happens at the end of these issues. And he yeah. comes after Mark's mom and his brother. And it's a pretty scary scene, man. Because yeah. this guy, uh, after what happened in in uh, the last episode we recorded, Angstrom Levy gathered all of his different versions from across the multiverse. And he just wanted to absorb their knowledge. But during a battle between Invincible and the Mahler twins something went wrong with the machine and he not only absorbed all their knowledge, but he ended up uh, looking like a freak where his brains were so big that they were growing across the entire top half of his body, like across his shoulders and and all over his head. It was, it's a pretty gross idea. Yeah. He's totally disfigured and he still has his multi-dimensional teleportation ability, but now he also has (laughs) a lot of knowledge from across the different universes or different Uh, dimensions he's visited and he uses that knowledge to attack invincible yeah it's kind of a i guess traditional or typical supervillain origin story in that he was originally i think i i don't i'm not entirely sure or i don't really remember what his initial goal was but i don't remember it being anything malicious i i in fact yeah, I, I think originally all he really wanted was to gather up his alternate cells and gain their knowledge but it wasn't supposed to kill them or consolidate them all into one being you know like he it was just literally yeah. he wanted to absorb their knowledge so he could be uh you know he could explore the different dimensions safely yeah but 
the entire process because of the battle between Invincible and the Mahler twins and the accident that ensued. Um, drives him mad. It drives him mad. And it wasn't even an accident that Invincible caused because uh, the Mahler twins were were basically beating Invincible to death. And while he was in the middle of this process, he went out of his way to stop them from killing Invincible. But because he interfered with the process, things went wrong and he was driven mad to the point where he believed that Invincible caused this to happen to him. And yeah. he, he swore revenge on Invincible. Yeah, pretty... And, Pretty unfortunate set of circumstances there. <laughs> yeah. And so while uh, Mark and uh, Amber are in Africa, he Mark, uh, Mark Invisible receives a phone call. And it's like you said, it was a pretty chilling, pretty scary scene. Because, you know, it's that superhero, uh, I guess, trope where... What happens when someone who's out to kill you knows your secret identity, right? Yep. It's going to come after your loved ones. It's every superhero's worst fear. Exactly. And that's what we see. Uh, Invincible, you know, charges home in, in order to stop uh, Ang- Angstrom Levy. But when he gets there, uh, Mark's mom, she's... She's like messed up, man. Like, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of implied things. Uh, maybe I'm reading into it, but there was a lot of uh, implied things that in his threats that uh, that imply the worst things that could happen or the worst things that he might do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, why that made me laugh, but I, I think the way that you were kind of like trying to skirt around it <laughs> yeah <laughs> we all know what we're thinking what we're thinking but <laughs> but she she just looked really messed up you know like it, yeah he obviously punched her in the face a couple times yeah and she it's and she's still holding the baby too yeah and she's clearly got blood on her face and and the thing is when when Invincible gets there, it's just this scene where it's the both of them sitting, I think, on the edge of the bed or something like that, right? Yeah, and, and, and Debbie is clear- holding the baby, clutching the baby to her. Yeah, and she's clearly been crying. So it's, you know, it's a... Imagine walking in through a door and seeing, you know, a loved one... Your like mother. Been, your mother roughed up and the person that's been... Uh, doing harm to her is just sitting right next to her. Like, yeah, it's one of those scenes where clearly things are bad, but in this moment where things are kind of calm, it's that weird contrast of it's calm, but there's so much... uh, tension i guess tension there's so much uh uh just destruction or or damage is is the word i'm looking there's so much damage there that in the calmness of it it's disturbing you know yeah 
right? Yeah, you, you just know that no matter how calm it might look, you know that whatever Neo was Tokyo before, was about to explode. Yeah, yeah, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's one thing to walk in and, like, see the person, like, beating on another person. Like, that that kind of registers, right? That that makes sense. It's It's kind of what you would expect. But when you get there and it's the calm after the storm and it's just them sitting there next to each other and the damage is clear on this on on your mother on this person mm-hmm. it's the thing that's unsettling about that is it makes you as the viewer look at that and in your mind you're racing through all the things that you weren't able to stop all the things that have already happened right yeah you know so um yeah scenes like that are are always like super chilling to me just when when the villain has all this self-control and uh and has this calm it's 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 sinister dude it's it's really sinister it it makes you feel like he's got the upper hand yeah it kind of just shows you how dire the situation is for the hero yeah and he really did have the upper hand because uh, we explained that he has the power to open these portals to all these other dimensions. So when uh, Invincible flies towards him, he just opens a portal before Invincible can get to him and transports him to another dimension. And he just, just keeps toying with doing him. this yeah. exactly over and over again to, to the point where at, at one point in the story, uh, Invincible Mark is just drifting through the multiverse just you know fighting all sorts of different things and he's just trying to get home to you know save his mom so this whole time he's fighting dinosaurs or zombies or whatever and he has no idea what's happening to his mom back home yeah that's that's pretty frightful man yeah and then in one scene uh you know while while he's momentarily distracted uh, Mark's mom takes that brief moment to hit him to hit Angstrom Levy in the head with a lamp because she's just trying to do something, anything to like, you know, yeah. regain control of the situation. It's, just, it's desperate, so I yeah. mean, and, if she didn't do anything, she was probably gonna die anyway. So yeah, and, and Angstrom Levy just straight up breaks her arm. You yeah. know, like. He he pushes it back and it just snaps back, and just the angle that her arm is in it it does not look it looks painful, you know. Yeah, it's super painful. Yeah. And and the baby's just on the floor crying. It, yeah. That's pretty sad too, man. Yeah. Did you notice uh that one dimension that Angstrom Levy sent Invincible to was the six one six Marvel Universe? Yeah, it was. It had Doctor Octopus and, and Spider Man. Yeah. Well, you see the back of Doctor Octopus, and then you see uh, a web, a web strand shooting out after Invincible when he comes back from that dimension. Yeah, and when when you see that scene where Invincible crashes into Doctor Octopus, you do see Spider Man's arm and his foot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Funny thing is, is that uh, didn't it's they not do explicit. a crossover? Yeah, I was just about to say that it's yeah. not explicit in in this comic, but if you we're reading Marvel Team Up back in the early or mid 2000s, right around this yeah. time period. There was a crossover where Invincible showed up 
in a Marvel comic. He showed up in an issue of Marvel Team Up that Robert Kirkman was writing at the time. And I think yeah. that issue might have been drawn by Corey Walker. I forget. I don't own it anymore, but I remember reading it at the time. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where because he was writing for Marvel, they and it's he owns Invincible, you know, Marvel was cool with him putting his character in a Marvel comic. Yeah. And it it totally uh made sense too because of what was going on in Invincible here. It's like Yeah. He just has this adventure um, in between pages of Invincible. So it's it's if you can find that issue, it's it's worth looking up. I don't remember what issue number it was off the top of my head, but it's an issue of Marvel Team Up. Yeah, yeah, I I vaguely remembered it. I I just remembered seeing Invincible with Spider-Man, but I never actually read that comic, so it's not. It's definitely not something that's um, familiar to me, other than yeah. than that image. Yeah, I re- I regret not keeping that issue. I should have I should have kept it on me. It I wonder if Shana still has it. It would have uh, completed your invincible uh, <laughs> collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because that issue is obviously not in these image collections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll find it in a quarter bin someday. Yeah. Just got to keep looking out for it. Yeah. But anyway, the the fight between Mark and, and Angstrom Levy gets pretty intense. So he, after, he, after he goes through all these different dimensions, eventually Angstrom Levy's curiosity gets the better of him. And he just kind of opens his portal in front of Mark and sticks his head out. And from there, right. Mark is able to grab his hands on him or get well, his hands on him. Well, okay, so the way that I interpreted that was in the previous panels, Invincible was talking about how... So Invincible is hopping through these different dimensions, and at one point you see him there, and he's like eating a meal with... I want to say they were like hobos or something, and he was just talking about how... (laughs) Why are they hobos? I, I don't know what they are. They were just guys around a campfire, so maybe they're just campfire dwellers. I don't. I don't know. Campers? But campers? Okay, campers. <laughs> but he's talking He's talking to them about how hopeless his situation is, and he says something to, to the effect of, I need to do something different to... Um, yeah, I need to do something different, because he just keeps opening these portals whenever I like move towards in his direction, you know? So what I got from that, or the way that I interpreted it, that was... Whenever Angstrom Levy was opening these portals, he was going, he was jumping back through the portals just so that he could have a brief moment and a shot or a chance to get back and be in the same room with Angstrom Levy. Mm-hmm. And when that portal opens up, Invincible doesn't fly through it. He's just sitting there waiting. And it's at that moment where Angstrom Levy is like, why isn't he showing up? And he pops his head through the portal to see why he's not there. And that's when Invincible grabs him and brings this uh, brings Angstrom Levy to him so that he can fight him, you know, mm-hmm. on his terms. That's yep. that's how I was reading that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's is that different from what I was describing? Oh, well, I I just thought that 
the way you phrased it made it sound like uh, Invincible was just popping through the these different universes, and he just was curious to see what Invincible was up to, so he popped his head in to see, and that's what got him killed. But no, it's not it's not different different. So they end up uh, <laughs> getting into a slugfest. Yeah. And that was a pretty intense fight scene, too. It really was. Mark is just furious, and he just pounds this dude into blood and guts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like... Well, the funny thing is, Angstrom Levy, like, in the middle of the battle, he's talking about how, like, his body is enhanced, and he's saying things like, I know I can't beat you in a fight, but my hope was that I would tire you out so much so that I could beat you in a fight with my augmented body. So the whole time Invincible has it in his mind that Angstrom Levy is a lot tougher than he actually is. Yeah. The next thing you know, Angstrom Levy is basically a tube of toothpaste that just got squished. Yeah. (laughs) It's like just all this blood all over the floor all over Mark, and little bits of brain chunks stuck on his hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's Why pretty violent stuff. <laughs> you think that's funny? Apparently. <laughs> but the, the downside of all that, of the downside of killing Angstrom Levy in this weird dimension, wherever they are, is that Mark is trapped in, in this unknown dimension. So... What ends up saving him is that this alternate version of the Guardians of the Globe find him and they're able to send him home. But the twist is that their version of Eve basically tells him that she loves him and that he should go back to his home dimension and tell that dimension's Eve that he either loves her or he's done with her just so that Eve can move on with her life. Yeah. And the thing about this version of the Guardians of the Globes was they're they're a lot older. So yeah. this version of Eve went her whole life uh not being able to express herself to full of regret to Mark. Yeah, full of regret, exactly. Which is yeah, that was some pretty powerful stuff. Like when I read that, I was like, man, that's just years and years of just pent up uh regret. Like, it, it it hits close to home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, what ends up happening is uh, Mark comes back, and now he's he's faced with this other conflict of what does he do with this information now? And he, I mentioned earlier uh, this scene that where he goes to talk to Art. And he's looking just for someone to talk to to help him work this stuff out. And uh, I thought I thought that was a really good couple of uh, pages there, where he's just talking to Art and he's trying to work out what his feelings are. Because and, and I thought this was pretty true and pretty realistic too, which was he talks about how Amber was the first girl who ever liked him for him, you know, mm-hmm. as Mark Grayson and yeah. how and and it wasn't even this thing where he was 
they don't they don't set it up like we were meant to be like I had always loved her and she had always loved me or whatever, right? Uh, oh, but I know, I know. Oh, uh, Albert, I am, I am, and Bon Jovi will someday know it too. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, but uh, it it's 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 very realistic in that uh. A lot of the times, a lot of real relationships aren't necessarily about... They're not all epic love stories, right? Where, like, these two people uh, loved each other from the start and it was perfect. A lot of the times, it's it's circumstantial, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just happens to work out. And that's what Mark says. And, you know, I couldn't... He talks about how he couldn't be... He wasn't uh, into Eve in spite of her, like attractive looks because when they first started talking they she had already established that boundary that oh she's with rexplode so you know it never occurred to him to try to breach that boundary and but now now that he knows that she does have these feelings for him and she's not in this relationship like he he was honest about it which was i there's a part of me that like i i never said i wasn't attracted to her i mean she's clearly an attractive person a woman and mm-hmm. and now he's just conflicted with what he should do or w- with what direction his uh his affection should go you know yeah yeah we should all be so lucky to be in that kind of conundrum, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely <laughs> first world problems. <laughs> it's the kind of problems that we wish we had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he's conversing with Art, and, you know, he's, he's uh, again, he mentions how Amber loved him or, or liked him as Mark, and... He tries to justify it by talking about how he doesn't want to impose this lifestyle on her because she never uh, asked him to be invincible. She never wanted to be with him because he was invincible, and uh, she never wanted to take on all of the baggage that came along with him being invincible. But but as a result, yeah, again, he, he does something that I think a lot of people would realistically do, which is he tries to justify it to himself so that he can give himself a clear conscience to break it off and be with Eve, you know? Like, I don't know if he was really thinking that, but the way that Robert Kirkman wrote it, like, if I had to be perfectly honest, that's something that I could see myself trying to convince myself of in his circumstances and and art being the voice of reason in that moment basically tells him well that's not really your decision to make like you're you're not really doing anything by um by painting yourself as some sort of saint or a tragic uh character who has to forsake his love because you know, um, mm-hmm. because of 
whatever troubles uh, your superhero life brings with it, she has to make that decision at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And, and it's not really up to you to, to do that to her. And Mark comes back to his senses, and at that point, he, he, he recommits himself to Amber in that moment. And, yeah. And, yeah, and we, we get that, uh, not, well, like, not quite closure, but he, yeah, he, he makes his decision in that moment that I, I, like, I don't, they haven't, we haven't gotten to the point where he's confronted Adam Eve about it, uh, about what he has to say to her. But we do know that in his heart, in his mind, he's chosen to be with Amber. Yeah. But the funny thing is, uh, later on in the book, we see Amber at the library, and there's a dude totally checking her out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's just a couple of pages, but you can tell that uh, Robert Kirkman is planting the seeds for something, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but there's clearly a guy there who is... Uh, interested in her. Interested. He's jonesing. He's feeling what she's putting out there. So... <laughs> is, that, is that how they phrase it now? <laughs> is that how the kids these days I'm hip. It? I'm hip. <laughs> I'm cool. I know how the young people talk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, you, it's funny. It, well, yeah, it's funny that in this moment, uh, Mark recommits himself to Amber, but, you know, just a little bit further down the line, we see that there's going to be another point of contention between the two, potentially. Yeah, yeah. It's the interesting character drama, the relationship drama. That that's, it, it's fun to have that kind of stuff in a teen superhero comic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've constantly talked about how, um, you know, for every generation, there are these teen superheroes that encapsulate what it means to be a teenager for that generation, and. Even though I think it's fair to say I wasn't a teenager when Invincible came out, at least I don't think I was. I might have been like, you were in not. My 20s. You were in your early twenties. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was in my early twenties. So, uh, but it was still, it still rang true what I was reading. I, I thought it was a pretty accurate representation of what modern uh modern teenage dramas would look like or should look like rather yeah, yeah. i agree man i agree there was another moment that i found pretty powerful in the story and it's 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 in the aftermath of the fight between invincible and angstrom levy so he he gets back to his home dimension and he goes back to his house and he he realizes that his mom and his brother are no longer uh, in the house. And Cecil tells him that he ended up taking them over to the Pentagon, you know, in their underground bunker so they could get checked out by the doctors and stuff. So Mark goes to 
the Pentagon, he sees Cecil down in there, and then Cecil takes him to see his mom, and she's in the infirmary, and you see that they've been able to put her arm in a splint, and they're checking, a doctor is checking out his brother, and he just sees his mom and gives her a hug, and, uh, you know, he, he says a couple of things, basically, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that this had to happen, I'm sorry that you had to get hurt, and... She gives him a hug, and what she says is, it's okay, son. It's okay. It's over now. That's all that matters. I've I've lived through worse. Yeah. And just that line where she was like, I've lived through worse. That was, that was one of those lines where when I read that, dude, I, I had to read the whole page again because it was just, it was just powerful stuff. Yeah. Just, it's like all the weight of everything that, she has endured through the story with her with her husband becoming a a planet conquering madman like mm, mm. all of the all the things that she's endured it's like she's lived through worse than getting her arm broken being punched in the face you know and yeah that's that's pretty harsh thing to think about to yeah. to realize that she has been through a lot worse than that cuz that what she just went through was pretty bad. Yeah. And it was pretty... Like, that one page was... was pretty stunning in that when she gives that line, you j- all you see is a close-up of her face as she's hugging uh, Mark. Mm-hmm. And, like... She's just in tears as she's saying it, you know? It's... Yeah. It shook me. It, it, <laughs> it shook me, me too, to the man. core. That's the kind of emotional content that I'm constantly seeking out when I read superhero comics. Yeah. Like, if every superhero comic had stuff like that, man, they'd just be a lot better overall. Yeah. But it, it's the kind of thing that... It, it's not easy to do that kind of thing, man. It's not easy to, to build that kind of um, emotional connection to a supporting cast member you don't see that too often in, in superhero comics. And, and I think part of it is because so many superhero comics have changing creative teams. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't get yeah. a chance for a character for long form to, storytelling. Yeah. You don't get from a, a singular perspective. That, yeah. You don't get a chance for that buildup to happen naturally yeah. because even, even though you might have like 50 issues where Aunt May appears in all 50 issues, you might have like, five different people writing those 50 issues, man. So yeah. in, in a sense, it's almost like Aunt May is a different character every single time. Yeah. So you don't really yeah. get that sense of the character going through a life, you know? It's like, it's just different when you read something like Invincible where it's the creators who who made the character from the very beginning are just continuing this long-form storytelling where they're able to leave an impact on the different characters, even the characters that you don't expect to necessarily feel something for because you're able to spend so much time with them on a, on a basis where they're written consistently. Mm. You, you do end up getting to eventually building up some kind of uh, familiarity or, I don't know, I guess a bond of sorts, just an affection for fictional characters and, yeah, any anytime anytime 
fiction can make you care about the characters, man. That's that's some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Did your yeah. trade paperbacks in, include that one issue from The Pact? Yeah. Well, uh, so I was reading mine off Hoopla, uh, the digital library, and it it did include that one issue towards the end uh, as as a special, which was the pact, and we, uh, that was basically a bunch of image characters created by Kirkman, all on one team. It was kind of his his shared universe super team, I think. Some well, of them weren't created by Kirkman. You're right. You're right. Shadowhawk was uh, Jim Valentino. But, yeah, and there was also that one chick from Noble Causes. That was Jay Ferber. Yeah, I don't even know what Noble Causes is. I never read it. So that was pretty uh, unfamiliar to me. Like, I think Noble Causes was one of those, uh, or it was a creator-owned comic about a family of super superheroes. Oh. I don't remember it too well, but... Yeah, it came out around the early 2000s, and and I did read some of it, but I guess I never got so into it where I wanted to collect it or, or own it. It was just one of those things where I would read it at, at Borders or something and just, you know, have fun with it and then put it back on the shelf and buy something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, there are a lot of comics like that where... I have no expectation to love everything because realistically, like, that's just, I don't know, it, it just doesn't seem possible to love everything because what, what, what's the point of that, right? Like, yeah. it, it means that the things that are truly good wouldn't have any real value in that sort of a world. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, but I did learn some things uh, watching, re uh, reading that one issue. Like, if well, okay, first of all, if I had to be perfectly honest, it wasn't anything that left much of an impact on me after reading it. It's it it was, it, yeah, it it was pretty forgettable. But the one thing that I did remember, and I've mentioned this before uh, on other episodes of this podcast. Which was, uh, I did have some affection for Shadowhawk. And if anything, that one issue, that special issue that they tacked on at the end, they, it gave me an idea of Shadowhawk's status quo as it stands in more recent times. So from my understanding, he went from being <laughs> uh, a black street-level crime fighter who swore vengeance against the criminal underworld because they gave him AIDS to a teenager, to a totally tubular teenager. <laughs> a teenager with attitude, man. A teenager with attitude. <laughs> Batitude and attitude. Uh, so Shadowhawk has clearly gone a very long, come a, come a very long way. <laughs> uh, the other funny thing about that issue is they brought back Doc Seismic. He was another character 
from a super early issue of Invincible. He he was one of those throwaway villains where Inv- I think Invincible beat him up in like a couple of pages and the <laughs> dude just fell into a pit and we didn't ever see what happened to him. But Kirkman right, right. brought him back in this. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. This was uh, another good year's worth of issues, man. A good, A lot of good stuff happened in here. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that the one thing that I did notice uh, that was different from the previous year was it felt like in the previous year there were a lot more storylines that they were dangling. And this year, in this third year's worth of uh, issues, it felt like there were fewer, but they tended to focus. Yeah, they, they focused more on the stories, on the yeah stories that they were telling so you know i i I appreciate that as a whole like in terms of uh i appreciate that the combination of those two uh directions yeah yeah It, it felt like this this year's stories were more focused on a couple of big events yeah and then there were still there were smatterings. You know, there, yeah, there were little uh, sprinklings of subplots with other characters going on, but it wasn't as many, or at least it didn't feel like it was as many as uh, the last batch of issues we we talked yeah. about. Yeah. So I guess saying having said that, I am curious what uh what the fourth year is gonna look like if they're gonna continue that trend or if they're gonna go back to something where they're just gonna be like bam 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 with a bunch of new plot points or like yeah i i don't i don't have a preference for either of those i'm just curious to see what they're gonna do <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's definitely compelling stuff man because that when yeah. i got to the end of the main story here where invincible reads his dad's science fiction books and realizes that his dad might be giving him the key to defeat the Viltrumites. I was like, man, I just want to grab the next volume and start right now. Yeah. But I always try to save myself for the week before we record so it's fresher in my mind. Yeah. It's it's cool reading these for the first time for this podcast, though. I will say that. it's uh, I read those that first year's worth of issues or trades uh once long long ago and it you know i knew it was good then but with all the issues coming out i was just like oh i'll just read it at a later time when there's more and i'll just borrow drew's copies so that you know i can just get a get a satisfying bunch of issues and not feel Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have any other way to phrase this. You don't have this, to feel but... the burn of cliffhangers. You knew where I was going, and I'm glad that you stopped me from... <laughs> were, you, were you about to say that you were about to get comic book blue balls or something? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how else to phrase it, but... Um, yeah, like, I, I was... I With a series like this, I just... I don't want to have comic book blue balls and the fact that the series came to an end 
that just means that I can read this all the way through now and uh, I, I, I can learn how everything comes to an end uh, with a satisfying conclusion. So, yeah. Hey, actually, there is one more thing I, I wanted to mention before we get out of here, but it, it's the very first page of issue 25 where uh-huh. Mark is in the comic book store and he's talking to the comic book dude behind the counter. Yeah. <laughs> and they're talking about Science Dog the comic book science dog and, and Mark is talking about how much he enjoys it. And the other dude is just, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a snob. Like he's got a, a blankets t-shirt and, and, and on one side it says, I'm so indie. And he's just talking about how science dog is trying too hard to be a retro book. And, uh, you know, they've been dragging out plots for over 10 years. Yeah. And then Mark, it catches feels like him. the, and he, and he realizes that this guy still buys every issue of Science Dog, even though he's bashing on it. And then yeah. and then the dude is, in his defense, the dude is like, yeah, I'm one of the folder customers. I don't want to break up my run. Yeah. But the, <laughs> the thing book's is, still crap, though. <laughs> it just feels, that feels like a real person, you know? It's absolutely a real person, man. We've yeah. all met that guy at the comic book store. Yeah. Every comic book store has that guy. <laughs> Yeah, the guy that can't stand how his his uh, favorite series is going, but he still buys it because he doesn't want to break up his run. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a fanboy, man. That's what I that's what I call a fanboy, and yep. I don't respect it. Yep, me neither. He don't deserve our respect. It's like those people, man. If if they're not enjoying it, why do they keep buying it, man? What's the point of having a collection like that? I I don't. I don't respect people that collect comics like that. Yeah. And on top of that, I don't care to hear your opinions. So shut the hell up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's too true. It's too true. It is, man. That that hit close to home. Well, Any other final other thoughts? That, uh, yeah, final thought is that as we're releasing this episode, I mean, by the time we release this episode, the Invincible animated series has already begun streaming on Amazon Prime. I think the first two or three episodes already are already up. So I haven't gotten around to watching them yet. But uh, yeah, if any of our listeners have checked it out or have watched any of it, hit us up and let us know what you think. I'm definitely going to check it out at some point. I'm looking forward to it. Shane has texted me earlier today, or I think, no, it was yesterday. And he, he he said it was great. He thought it was really raw. And he was really enjoying it, too. So I'm pretty sure I'll like it, too. Yeah, it's, um, oddly enough, I'm taking a similar track with the Invincible show that I am with the comic <laughs> in that I'm just going to wait until there are more episodes so that I can watch them all together. <laughs> What if uh, what if season one ends on a cliffhanger? Would you wait until season two comes out before you watch season one? Uh, well, uh, no, I, I think I'm a little more okay with uh, season one. Uh, just watching it on its own. Okay, okay. It's not quite, I'm not quite that anal. Yeah, yeah. I, I Like, The Boys, I, I, I watched the first season of that, and... You know, the world didn't end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's uh, still chugging along. For now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
where Bon Jovi's world is definitely coming closer to an end. <laughs> Man, now, now I just really want to know, when did your vendetta against Bon Jovi begin? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is between me and the Jove. <laughs> All right? All right? Okay, man. Okay. We need not speak about what he did to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, if you guys have any uh, have anything to ask us about Invincible, or if you have any comments of your own, please, by all means, uh, message us, DM us on Instagram, or email us at between the but- between the gutters podcast <laughs> at gmail dot com. And, uh, you know, let us know your thoughts and we may bring it up on our on, on the next issue of our or not issue next episode where we cover Invincible next month. Sounds good. Oh, here's a heads up for those of you who are who listen to us uh, on a regular basis. But next episode, we're going to talk about the comic Box Office Poison by Alex Robinson. So if you want to follow along. Read that book before uh, our next episode. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Bye, guys. Peace out. <laughs>